the soldiers will come home. Oh, we'll cease fighting, for the battle will be won. And the captain says, well done, you fought the fight, the race is run. Oh, wounded soldier, the war is over. Well, are you longing for those words? Sing it unto him tonight. And one day all the soldiers will come home. And we'll cease fighting for the battle will be won. As the captain says, well done, you fought the fight, the race is run. Oh, wounded soldier, the war is over, welcome home. Amen. We played that Amen. clip, I think it was a week ago in the service. Brother Bon Branham talked about what it'll be like when we gather. Tell you what, there's something inside of me that identified with that. I trust in you also. Amen. God bless you. Welcome to the service tonight. We're happy to be in the house of the Lord, happy for the atmosphere, for the specials that were sung. Where's Brother Bob? There he is. God bless you, Brother Bob. Always appreciate Sister Elisa. God bless you as well. Wonderful. We thank God for the musicians that we have and the music and the worship. I believe God's pleased with that too. Amen. Brother Mark, I'm just going to, well, you're just going to remain standing. I'm not going to have you sit down. I'm just going to have you stand just for a moment. I wanted to just show you a picture. There's a brother in Tucson, Brother Doug Baker. And Tucson is an area, it's in the desert, but it's quite uh, dark. There's not a lot of light in the town itself, but you get in the desert a little further. There's a, the comet that is, uh, we don't see it from where we're too far north, but in the south, a lot of the brothers see it. So Brother Doug actually went out and he's a bit of a photographer and he goes and takes some pictures. This is the one we referenced. He's the one who identified to me the last time it was on earth was 7,000 years ago or at a time when Adam and Eve were here. And uh, he, he, he took these pictures and I thought it was amazing. He's taken some other ones that were really good. There's two of them, Brother Mark. You got them both. And uh, so he took one of these on a time lapse and I thought it was really interesting and and he shared these thoughts, and I thought, Brother Doug, is, he's always got a little bit of a poet. He says this, I was looking at the comet last night through the camera lens and was admiring its beauty. I'm reminded that the very comet we're seeing was unknown by most of us. And he said, and when we looked in space, we were not that impressed by it. It was looked like a lump of rock hurtling through space. It contains a lot of dust and water. It's essential for life. But most of its existence, it remained a mystery, and nothing about it was to be desired. But at the appointed time, it was drawn into orbit close to the sun, the frozen chosen until it came into the present presence of the sun, and the ice began to melt in its present. As it melted, it freezed up the dust that's part of the comet. We get to see the mystery of the comet revealed in all its glory, when it's time for the comet to shine, it does so only in the presence of the sun and the earth. It's such a beautiful sight to behold. 
It's like the bride. She was drawn to him in this age in the full light of the sun. It takes him and something in him to bring her into full view. I thought those words were so good. I thought the pictures were so good. It's so nice to get out. Thank you, Brother Mark, for showing that. And you can turn the lights back on, Brother Dwayne. I just, uh, he's been sharing pictures through the week with me, and it's been a blessing. And anyway, good to be in the house of the Lord. We've got Brother Mark back there, and Brother John Perizok here, and Brother Jeff Dole. These brothers have been instrumental in putting our website together. We clap for them, but I think we ought to clap for them right now. They've all put a lot of work and a lot of effort, and I think we just need to be thankful. God bless you, Brother Jeff. Appreciate all you've done and all of those that were connected with it. It's wonderful to be able to do that. Tonight we have our Brother Doug Lentz here. So we also have Brother Sam and, and Sister Carol, but we also have Zach and Sabrina. And uh, nice to have you here. Nice to see you again. God bless you. And we have Brother Doug here. His wife isn't with him this time. And he would normally come and visit us in the spring and the fall or something, but because his, his workload is diminished right now, he has time to visit us, and it's cheaper to come and fly right now and travel. Uh, I don't know if many of you know this. Brother Doug's a, a travel agent. He helps and assists. Whenever I go to Africa, I call Brother Doug because he knows the different ways to go, the different rates to get, the different places. He's a tremendous resource, and he's been a blessing to me in that manner. And so he lives in the Ottawa Gatineau area. That's, that's in Quebec area. So he lives on the Quebec side. Uh, there's a brother we both know, and I mentioned it to you in the office. Um, well, I'll say who it is. His brother Steve Brisson, and I was texting him, and he says, Greetings from Nazi Quebec, he says. <laughs> so, <laughs> Doug comes out here, and he says, It's refreshing to see everybody kind of a little more relaxed about this whole thing. And, and so, but there out there, Brother Doug's um, connected with a few groups. He ministers. We were sharing this morning that every ministry is different. Every ministry has something unique to give the body. And so let's just take the portion that God placed in Brother Doug, and let's just draw from that. And, and let's let God minister to us. Amen. I, I believe God has something for us. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen to come and dine. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people to come and dine. Oh, with his manna he doth feed and supplies our every need. Oh, tis sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. Oh, come and dine. The master's calling, come and die. Oh, you may feast at Jesus' table all the time. Oh, he who fed the multitude, turned the water into wine. To the hungry, call it now, come and die. For the disciples came to land, thus obeying Christ's command. For the master called to them, oh, come and dine. Oh, there they found their heart's desire, bread and fish upon the fire. Thus he satisfies the hungry every time. Oh, come and dine, the master's called. 
south all the host of heaven will assemble be oh twill be a glorious sight all the saints in spotless white and with jesus they will feast eternally so come and die the master's calling come and die you may feast at jesus table all the Praise the Lord. It's good to be with you again. Greetings from Quebec. Uh, while you're standing, if you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. As you're uh, turning, I'll just uh, sort of bring you up to speed a little bit. Um, you know, where we are in uh, Quebec, it's, uh, you know, it is very restrictive, but uh, beginning of June, um, they made things a little bit, uh, they lifted some of the restrictions and they said if you want to have people come over and visit you at your house, uh, you are allowed as long as it's up to 10 people and it's outside. So great, come on over for a barbecue and let's fellowship. You know, so that's, that's how we've been kind of getting away with doing some church. And, uh, and uh, last, about a week and a half ago, uh, we actually baptized one of, our, one of my next door neighbors in that. So... Uh, and uh, he's got a great testimony, this guy. Maybe one of these days we'll get a chance to meet him. But uh, he, uh, uh, he, he's spent most of his life in the, in the penal system. Uh, in fact, he had uh, even set the, uh, the record uh, in Canada for a while for the most time spent in solitary confinement. Uh, bad guy. <laughs> he was uh, uh, an enforcer for drug uh, gangs and things like this. But he had an experience. And uh, he was dying. Of, uh, he had uh, cirrhosis of the liver, and he was falling apart. And the doctors checked him out and said, uh, you don't even have more than a few months to live. You're a goner. Your, your liver is shot. Your blood is horrible and that. And he says, well, he says, time to really get serious with God. And he starts reading his Bible, and he realizes there's scripture in there that says, by his stripes you are healed and things like this. And he's like, well, wait a minute. According to this, I should be able to get healing. So he just prayed, and he believed. He goes to the doctor, doctor checks him out, runs the tests, comes back with the results, and the first thing he asks him, and he says, what did you do? He says, what do you mean, what did I do? He says, your liver is perfect. You have the blood of an 18-year-old, you've got nothing. So he's, he's quite a guy, he loves the Lord, loves the Lord. All right, Hebrews chapter 9. The message is entitled today, Aaron's Rod. Verse 1, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the, the tables of the covenant. Shall we bow our heads for a word of prayer? Precious Lord, we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to gather together to worship you. In an age of darkness, we are grateful for the light that you have provided us, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we're here because we don't want to take it for granted. 
Lord, let your word penetrate into our hearts and speak to us, Father, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, and change us, Lord, that we walk out of here more prepared to do the work that you have called us to do, Lord. We submit ourselves to you in gratitude. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Sorry? Oh, Aaron's rod. Okay. So, the, first of all, before we go into the, the lesson, I'll sort of explain why this message exists. It's not a very deep message. It's uh, just more of a teaching exercise, more than anything. But um, in reference to, 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 to Brother Ed's message this morning, uh, it's a response to a blind spot. And it's a blind spot that is, seems more or less unique to the message. Um, one of the groups that I'm occasionally asked to go and speak to, um, there is a large number of people in the group that, uh, I mean, it's a message group, but there's a large number of people in there that are very much pushing for tape only. They want to gather together for church, but they just want to listen to a tape. And the mantra is, just say what the prophet said. Now, my take on this, and you may disagree, but my personal opinion on this is you need more. Okay, there is more. Uh, you know, I believe that listening to the tapes is vital. That's, it's, it's vital. It's the foundation you can't, you can't do without that. But to simply say what the prophet said, no, there's more. You have to, the next step is you have to believe what the prophet said. And the evidence that you believe what the prophet said is you're going to do what the prophet said. And what did he tell us to do? Okay. He didn't, just, he didn't say just camp out in front of the cassette recorder to the exclusion of everything else. He said, read your Bible and pray every day. Okay, so right off the bat, you cannot set aside the Bible. Okay? And through the message, he challenges us to even go further. Okay? How many times did he say, if you read between the lines in Scripture? Well, therefore, he's challenging us not just to read your Bible, but you have to be able to read between the lines. So if you're applying the message, okay, it's, it's, very, it's progressive, okay? There's going to be a deeper walk. Now, again, my opinion, and again, you may disagree with it, but to me, the message is like a flashlight, okay? It's a source of light to help you find your way in the darkness. And when you take that light and you shine it on the Bible, and it pushes away the darkness you're going to see things in Scripture that you've never seen before. But if you close up the Bible and you stare into that flashlight, what's going to happen? You're going to see the light, but you're going to go blind. Okay? And I believe there's a biblical precedent for that. I believe that the Apostle Paul demonstrated that on the road to Damascus. When it happened, it started off, he saw a light, but he went away temporarily blinded. But look at his condition up to that moment. Okay? If we use our modern message terminology, the Apostle Paul was a, was a message believer while he was on the road to Damascus. He was not an infidel. I'll tell you something, a little something about the, uh, the Hebrew education system at the time that is not necessarily well known. They had a three-step education process. As a child, from about four or five, they start getting their lessons. By the time they're about 10 years old, they're expected to have memorized, word for word, the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. Memorized. By the time they're in their teens, mid-teens, 14, 15, they have to have the rest of the, they're expected to have the rest of the, the Old Testament memorized. At that point, then they have a choice. They can either 
go off and go into the family business or whatever, or you can go on to the third step. The third step is to become a disciple under a rabbi. And you'll stay there and you'll learn from him as a disciple until you're about 30 years old. And at that time, then you can go off on your own. And if you, you, can, you can get your own disciples and so forth. So Paul went through all the way through that process. Okay? Here was a guy who knew all the messages. Of all the messengers, okay, he knew the message from Noah, of Noah's day. He knew the message of Moses what he, of his day, Isaiah, Ezekiel, or whatever. If he were here today, okay, he would be the kind of guy that if you were to tell him um, the message, stature of a perfect man, paragraph 43, he'd be able to tell you word for word exactly what it was. Okay? But the problem with, with, with not just him, but the religious Pharisees and that of that day is they knew the message, but they did not understand the application of the message. The purpose of the message was to help them to recognize the Messiah when he comes. That was the purpose. And yet, despite the fact that Paul and these, these fellows knew the message of their day, when Jesus Christ came, they were oblivious to it. They didn't recognize him. Okay? They could quote it, but they didn't know what it was for and why it was there. But after the road to Damascus experience, he goes off into Arabia, and now he comes back, and he takes all of that stuff he knew, but now he was able to make a practical application of it. Okay? Now, if we put that in our day, okay, the purpose of the message, again, for me, if we apply it the way Brother Branham said, he might take a message like, uh, he spends an entire message talking us, telling us about how there's a typology between the book of Joshua and the book of Ephesians. Okay? So now that I know what Brother Branham said about it, I can go to the book of Ephesians and I read that verse where it says, Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now I can ponder that and meditate on it. Well, what does that mean? Because of what Brother Branham said, I can now go back to the book of Joshua and I can see where Joshua... Their army was fighting, I believe it was with the Midians, they were in a big battle, and they were overcoming, but they needed more time. So what did he do? He told the sun to stop, and the moon to stop, until they defeated their enemy. Now I have a physical example of what Paul was referring to for a spiritual principle. Okay? If, I, if Brother Branham had not brought those two together... I would not have a, the, the, the understanding of Ephesians like I do. Okay, so the message was vital to be able to bring these two together. Okay, so what we're going to do this evening is we're just going to take those principles that Brother Branham introduced and we're just going to shine a light on the scripture and see what things illuminate. It's not to go deep, it's just, just more of an exercise for, for some practice. Okay? All right, so we just read where uh, in the Ark of the Covenant, Paul states in uh, verse 4 that inside the Ark was placed um, a golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod, and the tables of the Ten Commandments. Okay? Now, Brother Branham stressed typology. Okay? So if we want to, it's important for us as we continue, as we go through this, to understand what these three things type. 
Okay? And the reason we need to understand these three things, what these three things type is, there's a little mystery in the Old Testament that we're going to take a look at. But you have to have the background before we get there. Okay? So first thing we're going to look at is the tables uh, of stone, the Ten Commandments. What do they represent? That's not too difficult. Okay? It's, they are the written word, written by God's own finger. Okay? And those tablets... When you look at them, they're divided into two sets, five and five. The first five are all about how you have a proper relationship with God. The second five are all about how you need to have a proper relationship with your fellow man. Okay? And that's what the Bible is all about. This is our handbook for life. Okay? And the Ten Commandments are like the deposit that represents the written word, okay, in its application, sort of the do's and don'ts. So it's not that hard to figure that out. The pot of manna, on the other hand, it's a little bit, uh, we need to dig into the message a little more to understand what that's about. Okay, it's, uh, it's gold, it's a pot of gold, and inside was some of the manna that they had collected and put it in there, and it, it stayed preserved in the, uh, uh, in the ark. Now, to understand the typology, but what it represents, if we turn to John chapter 6, Jesus gives us an idea. <clears throat> Verse 31. He says, they're speaking to Jesus, they say, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then he said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And he said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So Jesus is saying, I am that bread of life. So now we're getting an idea of what this manna, the connection here. So the manna and Jesus, you know, we're seeing them linked together. But Brother Branham takes it even a little bit further. Because in a moment we're going to talk about the rod, which is made of wood. So he talks about both things here. In the message, The Ark, 1955, he says this. Over in the Old Testament... He said, now you shall make an ark. He specified the wood, acacia wood. Or you can make it out of this wood. It's called in the Bible shittim wood. But it's really called acacia wood. And you can make it the same thing, the ark, and said, you shall make it and overlay it with gold. Watch that ark. See if it typed Christ. Notice, it typed every time. Noah was a type of Christ, making a way. So was Moses. Now, watch the Ark of the Covenant, he said. You shall make it out of acacia wood and overlay it with gold. And then he says this. Anyone who knows scripture knows that gold speaks of deity and wood speaks of humanity. See, he said, you shall cover it, overlay it with gold over the wood. That is deity over the wood, Christ over the church, inside and out, deity overlaid. So we see a golden pot of manna. Everything about that types Christ. Okay. 
so we have the written word, we have Christ. All right. So now what about the rod? Well, right off the bat, we know that the rod has something to do with humanity because it's made of wood. Brother Brenham just said so. It's something to do with humanity. Now, uh, let's take a look at, to understand the, what the purpose of this particular rod, let's go back to its original commission. If you turn now to Exodus chapter 4, which is the chapter that Brother Ed started off with this morning. Exodus chapter 4, we're going to back up a little bit before uh, Brother Ed brought this morning to verse 14. So this is the commission. Verse 14, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he would be glad in his heart. So, this converse, the reason they're having this conversation is God was calling Moses to be his spokesman, and he was giving God some grief about it. I stutter. I can't do it. So, okay, let's get your, let's get your, your, your brother Aaron to, take, to, to help you out with this. All right? Verse 15, And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt speak unto him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherein thou shalt do signs. All right? So, Moses was called to speak on, be, on, on behalf of the Lord, and God gave him this rod to do those signs. But Moses had a problem with his vocabulary or whatever, his stuttering. So basically, he was going to whisper now into Aaron's ears, and Aaron was going to be the guy who would actually stand up and speak. So from the rest, in the rest of, uh, of Exodus and so forth, when you see Moses said, it was Moses and Aaron saying, Okay, when Moses threw down the rod, it was Moses telling Aaron to go and throw down the rod. Okay, this was how it was it was uh, working out. So right off the bat, we know that wood types humanity, and we see this particular rod being associated with speaking on behalf of the Lord and doing signs. All right, so it's humanity that is in service to the Lord in a very particular way. Okay, they're speaking and doing things on behalf of the Lord. Let's keep going. Okay. Numbers chapter 17. So that rod stood as a symbol of who speaks on behalf of the Lord. But there came down a time of dispute. You know, well, how is it that you get to speak on behalf of the Lord? Doesn't he speak to us and, and so on and so forth? We're all his people. God speaks to me. I, don't I have the authority to speak on his behalf? And God is saying, look, you know, uh, we need to, 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 to put this to bed. So Numbers chapter 17, starting at verse 1. This is how he deals with it. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers. Of all their princes, according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods. Write thou every man's name upon his rod, 
and thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. For one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And thou shalt lay them in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I will make it to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece. For each prince's one according to their father's house, even twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi, Levi was budded, was brought forth buds, bloomed blossoms, and yielded almonds. Do you know that that's actually in nature? That's not possible? Okay. A little something about the almond tree. Okay. So now, now, now we also know what kind of a rod this was. It was from an almond tree. Okay. In the Middle East, the almond tree for a farmer is the one tree that requires more patience than any other kind of thing that you're growing. It has, it has the, the distinct reputation of being the very first tree to blossom, to, to bring forth buds and to blossom. But it's the last of all the trees to actually bring forth fruit. So it takes the longest time. So it starts off with buds. The buds disappear and it becomes blossoms. The blossoms disappear and after a long period of time, then you see the fruit. Okay? So there's a, there's a message in there on patience. <laughs> but we see here the buds, the blossoms, and the fruit all together. One, sh one shot, bang, there it is. So, God's, so not only is this thing producing fruit without being actually attached to the tree, it's going the whole process all, all together here. This is a, a very amazing thing. Now, before we read what Brother Branham actually said about this particular incident, I'll just uh, go over a little bit more about what this rod represents. The rod is always seen as a symbol of speaking, not just here in the Bible, but in other cultures, okay? Um, amongst the native Indians, they got the talking stick, okay? Uh, if you're on the campfire and somebody wants to speak, you hold up the stick, that guy gets to speak, everybody else, you be quiet until he's done. Then you pass the stick, okay? And in the Bible, the heads of the household had their own rods, represent their authority. The head of the tribe, the prince, each tribe had his own the prince had his own rod, and that was his authority to speak on behalf of the tribe. Right up to a king. That's why a king has a scepter. The scepter represents that he has the authority to speak on behalf of his subjects. That's the whole purpose, all the way through. Okay? And another interesting thing about the, uh, the word about the rod is it's tied in with genealogy. Okay? The Hebrew word for rod is the same word for tribe or family. And it was customary for whoever had the, the rod, for their family, they would write the genealogy on the rod. This is how you know the, uh, the authenticity or the, the lineage, okay? You're, this is your, your evidence that you have the authority to speak on behalf of this clan. 
And it was also a great way for them to memorize their genealogies. You know, especially if you're a shepherd, you're sitting out there with the sheep all day, you need something to read, you know. Now, now just to show this, this lineage tribal tie-in, you'd see it in the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 11. referring to a prophecy about the coming of Christ. Verse 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So here we're seeing prophecy about Christ being typed to a branch and a rod. And he specifies it's from the root of Jesse. So it's tied in with this, this lineage thing. So Jesus, being a son of Jesse, we're tying now to the throne of David and all of this stuff. So it's, it's establishing where to look. When, if you want to recognize the Messiah when he comes, this is one of the things to look for. Is he a descendant of Jesse? Okay. All right. Now, it's not just any wood. It's an almond, uh, almond wood. And the word almond in Hebrew is the word sheked. And it has several meanings. Uh, sheked is one of the words for an eyeball. Okay? Um, but it really, it's more or less used as a phrase. It means to be watchful or to watch for. Okay? Um, even now, the, in the Israeli army, their reconnaissance division is called the sheked. Okay? Because it's their job to be the eyes of the army to see stuff that nobody else can see. So in the context uh, for that, you don't necessarily have to turn to it, but if you're taking notes, is in Luke chapter 12, verses 36 to 40, where he's commissioning the believers to be watchful. Okay? If you're a believer, you need to be watchful. We're looking for the coming of Christ, for, for the coming of the Lord. We have to be watchful of these things. So this quality of the almond, of watchfulness, is supposed to be a part of us. That's a quality that you should find in a believer. All right, so you kind of see where this is going. Now I'm going to read to you what Brother Branham actually said about, uh, about this incident that we just uh, read uh, uh, with the budding. Uh, it's in the message, Hidden Life. It says this, In the same place, we don't have much time because I've got to hurry, but just for another thought. In this same place, they put Aaron's rod to make a decision who God had chosen and who he hadn't. And that rod was a dead stick. In one night's time, come to life, brought buds, brought flowers, brought almonds. It both came to life, brought blossoms and yielded fruits. Get this. A very typical pattern of the sinner being brought to God into the holy place. And then he says, remember that rod passed over every one of those other elements and it got inside the holy place still dead. Now what he means by the elements are when you're bringing it into the temple, you've got to go through the outer court, the inner court, the holy place into the holy of holies. Justification, sanctification, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and the, the, the process to get there. All right? And he says, that's the reason the Holy Spirit's watched you since you received the Holy Ghost. See your attitudes toward his kingdom. If it's been selfish motive, if it's but the things that you thought 
of has been in further a denomination, or if it's doing further, better your position, if it's to make you a man looked up to in the world, if it's to build you a big church somewhere, or some popularity, or some other thing outside of increasing the bettering of the kingdom of God, brother, something's wrong. Amen. Amen. Now, when that dead old rod was brought in there and laid in the presence of God himself, what happened? It budded, it blossomed, and it yielded fruits, showing that we're born in. That rod was off an almond tree, and when it was cut off, it died. And when man was cut off from the presence of God, he died spiritually. But once brought into the place of God, before the presence of God, he comes to life, and he yields life. He yield blossoms, he yield fruit. Jesus come to the tree to look for fruit on it, and had everything but fruit. And that's what's the matter with our churches today. We've got everything but fruit. We can shout, we can speak in tongues, we can argue the scripture, we can teach our theology, but when it comes to fruit bearing, the tree is very lean. What is the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, patience. It shows many is still outside on the first altar. You're still open to the public. You're still listening to hear what John's got to say about it, what the neighbor will think, or something for yourself. But once behind the veil and the curtain is dropped, you're hid in God through Christ. See? So everything about Aaron's rod is, for, is all about the believer. Okay? You should be able to look at Aaron's rod and say, this is me. Okay? Now, I want to also point out one thing. Okay? There were 12 rods that went in there, but only one budded. Okay? The one that was predestinated to do that. Okay? How many people come in the presence of the Lord and their life just, is just not there? Okay? You have to be ordained for it. All right. So now that we know that it's an almond uh, branch and it types the believer. So just to recap, we've got inside the ark, you've got the tables, the Ten Commandments, the Word of God. You've got the pot of manna representing Christ. And now we've got the believer all wrapped up in this box. But that stick was not the only time that we see almonds in Scripture. I want to show you another place that's important to, to, to make the connection. Exodus chapter 25. We're reading from verses 31 to 40. So, heavens, God says, Moses, come here, and heavens open, and he shows them something in heaven. And this is what he instructs them. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, and of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowl, bowls, his knobs, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds, with a knob and a flower in one branch. And the three bowls made like almonds in the other branch, uh, with a knob and a flower, so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls like unto the almonds, with their knob and their flowers. And there shall be a knob under two branches of the same, and a knob under the two branches of the same, and a knob under the two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed 
out of the candlestick. And then it goes on. All right, so this is the menorah or the big candle, candelabra that was in the holy place in the tabernacle. Okay, so now we know more, a little bit more detail of what it looked like. It was modeled to look like a tree, okay, with one stem and then six branches coming out of it, and not just any tree, it's an almond tree. So now what we just learned about what the almond tree represents, now we can see now there's a connection between the believer and the candlestick, okay? It's gold, which is deity, but it's beaten gold of an almond tree, which is a type of humanity now. Okay? Now, another thing that Brother Branham taught us, he said, heaven doesn't change. Right? God told Moses, he says, I want you, the Ark of the Covenant, the, 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 the menorah, all of these things, I want you to make them out of the pattern that I showed you on the mountain. He opened heaven. Okay? Moses looked into heaven. He saw an ark there, which he made on earth, a copy. He saw a candelabra up there. He made a copy on earth. Okay? This means that in the book of Revelation, when heavens were opened and John looks into heaven and he sees a menorah, it's the same one Moses saw. And in that menorah, it says that Jesus was standing in the midst of it. Actually, in the Greek, it's dead center in the middle of it. Okay? What is, what is all of that type? It's Christ and his bride. Now that we know what the almond tree represents, you see, it's Christ and his bride. Why would we be typed out to a candelabra? Okay? It produces light. And it's filled with oil, which is the Holy Ghost. It's a vessel that contains oil representing the Holy Ghost to bring light. Is that not the job of a believer? You're supposed to have the oil. The believer, the sep what separates the bride from the foolish virgin is the oil. You need that oil to light the lamp, to, be, to bring illumination. So everything about this almond tree, it's all connected to us if you're the bride of Christ. All right. So, so now that we've got all the types laid out, now we're going to look at the little mystery. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. Sometimes it's all about knowing what questions to ask before you can get the right answers. First Kings chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read at verse 11 and see if you notice what I'd notice. <clears throat> then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers and the children of Israel unto the king of Solomon in Jerusalem that they may bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. So I'll stop right there, just to lay the background of what's going on. Solomon built a temple, because up until now, the Ark of the Covenant has been in a tent. Okay, So he built now a stone temple, and now they're taking the Ark from the tent, and they're bringing it into the stone temple. Okay, And this is what transpires as they do that. All right. Uh, right, verse 2. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. Ooh, the seventh month. I didn't notice that. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. 
And they brought up the ark out of the Lord, and the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. Even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen, that no one could be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant unto his place, unto the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the two cherubim covered the ark and the staves thereof. And they drew out the staves. The end of the staves were seen out of the holy place before the oracle, and they were not seen without. And there they are unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of of Israel when they came up out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that they were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Anybody notice something odd about, about this situation? If, you hadn't, if we had not read Hebrews, you would have just read this, glossed right over it. Okay, but now that we've read Hebrews, what did it say was inside the ark? Just the two tablets. So what's the question? The question is, what happened to the pot of manna and Aaron's rod? Where did they go? Do you know there's no written record anywhere in scriptures of what happened to them? Nothing. I I studied diligently. And when I couldn't find an answer, I tried to snoop around and see if there was anybody that had kind of an answer to this. Fortunately, one of my clients, um, I mean, he's denominational, but, you know, if you're just looking for knowledge, it could be a good place to go. One of my clients is a professor of Old Testament history uh, at a university in Belgium. He's been teaching, teaching Old Testament history for over 50 years, okay? He's written like 30 books on, on the subject and that. So I asked him, I, asked, I said, look, when, you know, Paul said that inside the Ark of the Covenant, Moses put in the tables, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the pot of manna, and Aaron's rod. And the kings, when they brought it into Solomon's temple, it says only the, temp, the, the tables of the Ten Commandments were in there. What happened to Aaron's rod and the pot of manna? You know what his answer was? I didn't know they were missing. Okay. Now, one of the people I work with, uh, her client is uh, Rabbi uh, Reuven Bulka. He's like the, the big rabbi in the Ottawa area. And uh, so I was chatting up with her one day, and I was like, do you think the rabbi would be up to talking to me about something? And she's like, sure, yeah, he loves that kind of stuff. So, okay. I mean, the rabbi, and I asked him the same question. Uh, he came back. He said, well, he said, some of the sages have had discussions about what it could be. But he said, really, we don't know. He said, there is no Jewish tradition about what happened to them. And that's a rare thing, because I got traditions for everything. Okay. But this is a mystery. And not only is it a mystery, but it seems like they just gloss over and they don't really seem to care. Because when you read the context of this, these two items went missing, and then they're just 
glossing over it. Oh, just matter-of-factly, only these two things were, were there. So it got me to thinking, could some... Now, because the Bible didn't specify where they went, and to me, that's, that speaks volumes because there's no accidents in the Bible. If it tells you it's there, it's there for a reason. If it's silent on the subject, it's silent for a reason. So I want to know what's going on. So I thought, well, somebody might think, well, okay, could it be that somebody snuck in there and took them out when nobody noticed? Okay, but then when you, you study about the ark, that thing has got some pretty incredible security features. Okay? When it was behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies, the high priest... They would have, he would only go in there once a year, okay? And if he didn't do things properly, he would be killed. What they would do is they would tie a rope around his waist, and at the bottom of his cloak, he had uh, little bells. So he'd go behind the curtain, and as he's doing his duties, they could hear the jingling. So they know he's okay, he's still alive. But if the jingling stopped, they couldn't go in there to get him if he died. Because then they too would die. So that's hence the rope. They could pull them out. So you think anybody could have snuck in there and opened the lid? No chance. But what about when it wasn't in the temple or, or, or in the sanctuary? Okay? There was a time they took it out okay, to go into battle against the Philistines. Now, when you read the account, when the Philistines captured it, they were actually very respectful. When you read their attitude towards the ark versus the attitude of the, the Israelites, the Philistines actually had much more respect for it. Okay? And again, when it was in their position, there's no record of them actually having opened it. We know that they placed it in, uh, in one of their temples. Okay? And, while, and it was in their possession for about six months. But the Bible is clear that while it was in their possession, they were plagued. Okay? They had boils and hemorrhoids basically, to the point that it forced them to send it back. But they just didn't send it back intact. They added gold and gifts and everything else. They heaped it up with an offering. Go. <laughs> Take it, please. I, under that condition, when you're that sick, why would you want, you know, like, like assuming that they got in there, why would you want to hold back a rod? Okay? Or that one pot of manna, if you're sending all this other gold with it, it makes no sense. But again, the Bible is silent on that. We have Uzzah. Okay, they're bringing the, the, the ark on a cart, and this, the oxen stumbles, and it starts to tilt. One guy puts his hand on it to hold it. Dies. Okay? But there was one time that the Bible says they managed to get the lid off the ark. Okay? And that is right here. In 1 Samuel, chapter 6, verse 19, it was when the Philistines sent back the ark on the ox cart. And the oxen brought it to a village called Beth Shemesh. Beth Shemesh was a Levite village. Okay? The Levites have the right to carry the ark. God's commissioned to do that. So it went to the right place. But once it got into the possession of the Levites, they got a little bit too excited. It says in verse 19, And he smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote the people, 50,000 and threescore and ten men. 
And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. So it arrived at the, at the town. They were so excited, let's have a big sacrifice. They put the ark on a rock, and they said, let's see what's inside. They opened the lid, 50,000 people. Okay. So again, what are the odds that somebody could have snuck in there and take out the pot and the rod? So where did they go? Again, nothing is by accident. Turn now to Jeremiah chapter 1. This is the commission of Jeremiah. Now remember, Jeremiah is a prophet. He's being commissioned by God. What was the purpose of the rod when God told Moses? It's to represent that you're there to speak on my behalf and to do signs on my behalf. Okay? Jeremiah is being called to the same kind of a job now. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee out of the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am as a child. A little bit like Moses, I can't speak on your behalf, trying to get out of it. And the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go into all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And the Lord put forth his hand, and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have set thee this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Amen. Jeremiah existed much later after Solomon. Okay? So in Solomon's day, the rod, pot, were gone. Now, hundreds of years later, Jeremiah was, was, was called on the scene, and heavens opened, okay? He sees the Lord, and he asks him, what do you see? What's the Lord holding? He's holding an almond rod, okay? Now, what does the pot of manna represent? The Lord, Okay? So basically, you could say through typology, you've got the pot of man and you got the rod sitting right there. Okay? Now, is this the same rod that was in the ark? Doesn't say. Okay? But we know it's an almond rod. Okay? But again, I would conjecture nothing is by accident. The Lord is showing him this specific rod for a very specific reason. He, Aaron's rod was used to commission Moses. And here's Jeremiah being commissioned to be a prophet just like Moses. And he's showing the same rod. Could it be? I don't know. But it bears some thought. So, what does this all tell us? Let's go back and reread the account in 1 Kings. And then we'll close. We're finishing up. 1 Kings chapter 8. I'll read it again. 
Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the chief of the fathers and the children, uh, sorry, and the children of Israel unto Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant out of the city of David, which is in Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto, the king, unto king Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. And they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle and the congregation and the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. Even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that, no, that, not could, sorry, that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto its place into the oracle of the house to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim sped forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim covered the ark and the staves thereof. And they drew out the staves, that the ends of the staves were seen out of the holy place before the oracle, and they were not seen without, and there they are unto this day. There was nothing in the ark, save the two tables of stone, which Moses put there at Horeb, when the, children made a covenant, when, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. And then it continues on with Solomon's speech. There's another question I have that, when I read this. Why was there no fanfare about it? Okay. These items, Aaron's rod and the pot of manna, are two of the most valuable pieces, are, are, are most two valuable items in Israel. Okay? In England, Queen Elizabeth has got the crown jewels. Okay? And they keep the crown jewels uh, in the Tower of London. Presumably, let's, let's say that they, they have them in a vault. These are the most important jewels in all of the British Empire. They represent the crown. And they're locked away, safe and sound, in a vault where no man can get to. Can you imagine one day if they opened up the vault and they found, say, the, the, the crown and the scepter missing? Everything else is there, but those two things are gone. What do you think they would do? The alarm bells would be going. They'd be calling up Scotland Yard and Interpol. They'd be call out the army. We need to find out who stole these things. And they would be, everybody would know about it. And they'd be going out of their way to try and get them back or find out what happened to them. But when you read this, two of the most valuable things to the nation of Israel have disappeared with no explanation, and nobody seems to care. They just gloss over it. Oh, by the way, that's all that was in the ark. What? So what is this trying to tell us? Now you have to read between the lines. It said that when the ark was brought into the temple... I just noticed this part. Seventh month. Okay. Seven periods of time. Well, we're seven church ages. Okay. What event happens after seven periods of time where, remember, the pot represents Christ, the rod represents the bride, where all of a sudden they disappear leaving only the written word, and nobody seems to notice. Sounding familiar? 
okay? I don't think I need to tell you what this is describing, okay? This is why even when the Bible is silent, it's trying to tell us something. But this is why we need the message. Because to the denominational world, like the Pentecostals and so forth, the rapture is a noisy event. People will be disappearing, planes will fall out of the sky, cars will crash because everybody's disappeared. Brother Branham said, nah, nobody's going to notice. Okay? This is why we need the message, to illuminate this word. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. I turn the service back to our brother Ed. Thank you, Brother Doug. There was no long runway leading into that or landing either, <laughs> as you may be accustomed to, or certain ones here may be. Amen. How many appreciate the Word of God? How many appreciate the illumination on the Word of God that He has given us in this day? Brother Branham would come and tell us, he'd say, if you fail to see Christ in any scripture, go back and read it again. Now, this morning we just touched on briefly is the ascending order. There's a glory. Paul actually speaked about it in, in Hebrews chapter 9 where Brother Doug read. And he talked about there's a glory that was overshadowing of which we cannot speak now in particular. So there was a glory in, in laying the type. There's a glory in... in in bringing something out, and then when we see it, it actually helps establish that the God of order, the God who knew we would be here today, he laid these foundations, he dropped them in for us. Amen. I appreciate just going and digging into the scripture. Many times I just love doing that, reading through. Brother Doug brought out some very good things about this, and, and just, just to take that, and just these little types and, and such. You know, I, 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 just, just to say, sometimes the scripture doesn't illuminate something. Paul, Paul actually referred to this in another example. He said, you know what? Let the women keep silence in the churches as saith the law. Well, I went back and looked in the Old Testament. It doesn't say anything about that. The law is silent on it. Therefore, it's not permitted. <laughs> Paul just picks it up and says... As saith the law. There he goes. And that's how we learn of things. So God hides and veils things in the scripture. And I, there's a wonderful scripture in Proverbs that says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the honor of kings to search it out. So I believe that we've been kings and priests, and we can look in the Bible and we can see things. I, I, I just appreciated the opening comments just about the, the flashlight that illuminates the Bible. We don't want to get blinded by the flashlight. We want to allow the Bible to come alive for us. Amen. Let's, let's stand together. Let's just change the order a little bit. Let's sing some songs of worship. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, it shall quicken your mortal body. If that same spirit 
that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you. Dwell in you. Oh, if that same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you. Dwell in you. He had, but give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp. Oh, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Oh, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break. Christ of yesterday, today, forever. I believe he's the same as he was in the Bible. You know, all these types and shadows, they don't happen for no reason at all. You know, the point where Brother Doug took about the rods that were there for every tribe, and the reason for that to be budding was God to give vindication to Aaron's rod. Because what happened in the scripture just before that? There was an uprising. There was men that had risen up and said, Moses isn't the only one. There was a Dathan and there was a Korah. But God says, I'll show who it is. And he says, bring your rods. I'll show you which one is vindicated. 
He's the same God today. Amen. Brother Adam would say, this message, and I, I, as, as Brother Doug was reading that and I was looking at that scene and that picture, I'm saying, oh God, show that you're God again today. Amen. Jesus Christ will come. He will be the showdown between the denominations and the bride. He will be the one at the Mount Zion showdown. And I say, oh God, show yourself to be God. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to run. I, I say, God, I've trusted in you, every word, everything that you said. May you vindicate your word. Amen. Fill my way every day with love. Fill my way every day Song and a smile fill my 